It was the most wholesome show in the history of television. Did they really make a slasher film? On this episode, we explore the most twisted chapter in the history of Walnut Grove, Minnesota, as we discuss the Little House on the Prairie episode, Sylvia. Welcome to Childhood Fears Revisited. This is Childhood Fears Revisited, the podcast where we look under the bed. I'm your host, Patrick. I'm Kat. And today we are going to be talking about the season seven episode of Little House on the Prairie entitled Sylvia. If you had told me before we started doing this podcast that we were going to do an episode about Little House on the Prairie that would require a trigger warning, Uh, I would have called you a liar, but here we are. Trigger warning. This is going to be a rough one. (laughs) So, Kat, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. How are you, Patrick? Good, good. Are you ready to talk about Little House on the Prairie? Oh, man, absolutely. So, so Kat, uh, you're a little older than I am. You, I think you have a little more memory of this show. Why don't you tell everybody about what Little House on the Prairie was and How we got to the point where they made an episode like this. (laughs) Yeah, that Little House was just a huge part of my childhood and and everybody's childhood as we were growing up in this in the 1970s and somewhat into the 80s as well as the reruns came along. Um, There were not a lot of shows to watch. There were not a lot of channels, right? We had two, we had four, we had basically we all knew... There was CBS, NBC. We knew what the major networks were. And there were very few shows really for kids within those until the cartoons started. Um, especially in prime, especially in prime time. Yeah, right. In prime time. Yeah, you could watch Manix, right? But, <laughs> but there was nothing in prime time for families and children. Sesame Street. Yeah, and stuff. But yeah, but here comes NBC with this primetime show that is live people, a real show, you know, it's not a cartoon or anything. This is a very realism show. And it's about the pioneer days, a family in the pioneer days. And it's about a girl. It's about a kid as she's growing up. And so it's all from the point of view of the kid, really. And it's relating to other kids as you go through it. So this resonated with us growing up so much. So once a week, Wednesday nights, prime time, you sit down and you see what's going on with our family and Little House in the Prairie and Laura, Laura Ingalls, who was growing up out there in Walnut Grove, Minnesota. I remember watching it. I, as I mentioned, I'm a little younger than you are, but I have older siblings, as you know. Uh, so I remember watching Little House on the Prairie. Uh, you know, it's it's in my living memory. There were there are episodes that stick out in my mind. The one that comes to mind is the episode where uh, Laura's sister Mary goes blind. Mary goes blind. Everybody remembers when Mary goes blind. It Everybody was like remembers that part of the cultural consciousness 
of yeah, those. And that episode led to kind of a panic around scarlet fever mm-hmm. because there is was a whole generation of parents who believed that if their kids got scarlet fever, their kids were going to go blind. Right. And the medical profession spent almost an entire generation trying to dispel that myth to the point where I think you even mentioned that you had found a study that says that they like 20 years after that episode where they figured out what disease actually caused oh, yeah, Mary it, to go blind. It was that's, as recent, how, that's how important this show was. Totally. That was actually as recent as 2013. There was a medical study that took like 10 years and a team of four came up with the fact that it's not scarlet fever as we grew up thinking that why Mary went blind, but uh, it was actually viral meningoencephalitis. Well, good job. Thank you to to the best of their deductions. But even part part of the reason they did that study was because the MD who was on the team of the study said, you know what, I, I have to keep debunking this myth that parents come in here with their kids with scarlet fever and they're afraid they're going to go blind because they read about it. Scarlet fever, well, it was also in Frankenstein, it was in Little Women, but that is what Laura Ingalls attributed in her manuscript, in her letters, in her writings, to her sister Mary's blindness too. Yeah, and I don't, and, and by the way, I don't think we've mentioned this. This is based on true events, right? This right. is- I mean, Laura Ingalls Wilder was a real person, a real author. She wrote this series of books in the early 20th century, and this entire show was based on it. So it was a so it was a known property before it got to television. Yeah, it was a best-selling series, The Little House Books, absolutely. And we'll get into this a little later, but that wasn't the genesis of her body of work. She actually started by writing after her parents died. She started thinking back to her childhood. She wanted you to mean preserve- Pa eventually died. Pa eventually died. Pa as and they Ma do. died. Everybody, even horses. Patrick, even horses. Everybody, yeah. yeah. And so Don't she started thinking back to her childhood and she wanted to preserve what it had been in the pioneer days because here she is. She lives till 1957. Things are changing fast. So she starts writing her manuscript. And the first thing she puts out is called Prairie Girl. And it's pretty harsh. It is not for the childhood audience. And there their family lived in extreme poverty. They saw a lot of things. They fled in the middle of the night from debtors. They lived near drunks. And they, and was they this was this based on her true experiences or was that, this a- that that was real? That was Pioneer oh, so, Girl, her original. Oh, OK. So what you're telling me is this this little house on the prairie is her like whitewashing the whole the whole That's experience. exactly right she wanted it to stay so her so her daughter becomes a journalist and a writer and says mom I, nobody's buying your thing here's what i think we should do i'll work with you let's turn it into a children's series and so she did and she kind of and scholars are like oh she ghost ghost wrote it for her. laura wasn't that strong of a writer whatever they come up with what it turns into a best-selling series of books and laura's thing is eh, it might be not, not exactly true but i want it to stay true to the spirit of what happened and so we here we come and then suddenly now it's picked up by by the television station produced as for nbc's uh as a children's series and it's one of their highest rated series it is from season three through seven um it's just a huge hit and and anybody who grew up in that time at least knows of it if not watched it and uh especially girls like me growing up 
there's there's Laura, my age, growing up in the show. Um, it was it was must see television. Can't miss it. So that brings us to the episode we're going to discuss today. Yeah. Took him seven years to get to this point, but it took him seven years to get to that point. And as most people know, as shows get a little long in the tooth, ratings start to drop and maybe you start to do some gimmicky stuff during sweeps week. And in this case, and it's no exaggeration what I'm saying, they decided that they were going to make a straight up slasher flick. (laughs) And when I say this, I, I don't say this lightly. Every trope that is known in the in the slasher genre appears in this episode as we go through it i will happily point them out but anybody who knows anything about that particular genre of film is aware of particular things that happen in every single one of them and they happen in this episode and in some ways this episode and particularly the victim involved is even darker than a lot of slasher movies. When I say I, trigger I love warning, the, the irony of all this is just so rich. When I say trigger warning, everybody, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you right now, we're going to be talking about child rape in this episode, but it's all couched in the same kind of trappings of a slasher mm-hmm. flick. Mm-hmm. It had to traumatize a lot of people watching. Oh, this. I remember watching this. This was one. This was one of the episodes that stuck out in my mind, and I was too young to understand what exactly happened because they are discreet about the rape. You say they're discreet about it, but they're not <laughs> real discreet about it. Well, no, I mean they don't. They don't. De- depict it but yeah, no they don't you're, show you're, it yes yeah. that's about this that's about as good as you can get they don't show it on screen give me a little bit of the feel though for what was going on because this is this is more your neck of the woods the slasher films what's going on right around 1980 81 so the the modern slasher film i would say began and and people are going to quibble with me they're going to say uh Black Christmas and maybe even Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But the modern slasher movie started with Halloween. Uh, that's when it became a really, really popular genre. And, and Halloween, you're talking 78, 1980. You've got the Friday the 13th franchise kicks off. They put out like Man, a movie a year for a few years. Huge. I mean, those are huge in my consciousness too. So that was brand new then. It's hard to think of a time when those things didn't exist. But this has taken this has taken the world by storm or the American movie going public and youth by storm. And every studio's putting out their own trying to put out their own franchise. They're trying to capitalize on the, the success of the of the genre. So you've got things like Sleepaway Camp and you have My Bloody Valentine. So there's all oh, these movies yeah. that are coming out left and right, most of which, you, you know, no one's ever heard because they, they were just popping them out. But it was very popular at the time. So this it so it is not surprising that at this point they created this this episode because it really hopped on a popular cultural bandwagon hopping on the cultural bandwagon. Yes, exactly. One thing I will mention, though, there is another genre of film that the killer kind of falls into. And it kind of reminds me of is there's an Italian genre of film called the giallo. But I think. Think giallo, and I might have to edit this out if I'm wrong, but I think it I think it means yellow. But it was a proto slasher genre, and the killer is very giallo-ish, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go 
go forward as well. Mm-hmm. So it's got a lot of horror DNA in the episode. So this is tapping right into that. So ratings are falling. Michael Landon, who has played Laura Ingalls' father from beginning to end, the the epitome of wholesomeness, he writes and directs this episode. This is This is all his. So we'll take a quick break and we will be back and we'll talk about Sylvia. So we're back to talk about Sylvia. The episode starts uh, with a little uh, light sexual harassment. Uh, Albert, <laughs> who is the Engels' son, who is adopted, right? He's the adopted yeah. son. Yeah. yeah. So he's the adopted son of the Engels. He's Laura's brother. He and some of his friends decide that they are going to spy on a classmate named Sylvia. Now. Keep in mind that everybody that we're talking about here, like with Albert and Sylvia and his friends, they're all 13 or 14 years old, right? These are not adults. These are kids. Keep that in the back of your mind. So Albert and his friends decide that they're going to go peek in Sylvia's window to hopefully get a glimpse of, I don't know, what was what was sexy back then? Ankle, maybe elbow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, oh, whatever, yeah. whatever was what, whatever was risque in the late 1890s. But Albert and his friends get caught by her father, who confronts him. Gotcha! Let me go! I didn't do anything. You didn't, huh? What you sneaking around my daughter's window for? I wasn't. You what too? Don't you lie to me, boy! I'll take a switch to you. You were trying to look at my daughter, weren't you? Now answer me. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Or I'm going to teach you a lesson. Please don't. I said I was sorry. You know, they kind of treat the father as if he's being really harsh, at least in this scene. But he's really not. These kids were trying to ogle his very young daughter. They were. And 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 Sylvia is the first girl in class who's maturing. I got to say, we know everybody in Walnut Grove by this point. OK, this town has maybe what? 30 people? I don't know. Something yeah. like that. And suddenly we have an episode. There are 30 people during tourist season. <laughs> 20 people <laughs> otherwise. And and suddenly this character, Sylvia, appears, who is apparently in their class and they all know. Okay, we're wiser after the episode, after season seven. But at this point now, we would know, okay, something's up. Yeah, and she is not the only person in this episode who just kind of shows up out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Now, from the beginning, she is sexualized. When we first see her, she's making the bed when the boys peek in the window. And when we first actually see her ourselves, she's sitting on her bed. We see her father in the kitchen. The door to her bedroom is open and she is sitting on the edge of the bed. So those are the very first, very first impressions that we have of this character. Well, and, and you know what you, you know what they say about a woman who sits on a bed. <laughs> I would have to tell you. Not smart enough to lie down. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's like, oh, their ideas of sexualization in these shows are amazing. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, but just that tie in, right? That's not generally how yeah. we're introduced to characters, unless it's a specific reason. And everything here was very deliberate. Albert gets caught, gets confronted by her father, who threatens to beat the crap out of him. But Albert ends up getting away. This is where we first get the sense that something is not well in Sylvia's household. Dad's name is Hector. His name is Hector Webb. And we are introduced to him uh, really when he first confronts Sylvia about the fact that boys were violating her with their eyes. Mm -hmm. He says this to her. You hear the yelling? Yes, sir. It was them boys from school coming to leer at you. You've been making eyes at them boys. No, Pa. I swear I haven't. Why'd they come here then? Answer me! I don't know, Pa. You don't know. You don't know. Well, I know. You've been flirting at school. No, I told you no. Don't you lie to me. I'm not, I swear it. You're a wanton thing, Sylvie. Lord knows I've tried. But there's a devil in you. Same as the one that killed your ma. Don't say that, Pa. Please, I didn't do anything. You did, you had to. If I see them boys come back here, I'm going to give you the whipping of your life, you understand? Yes, do you understand? Yes, sir. You bind yourself up tighter. I don't want them looking. Yes, sir. Do it now. So this is our... First example of her being victim blamed. Mm-hmm. He's he tells her, you have the devil in you and it's the same devil that killed your mother. And what is that about? Yeah, we, we never, never find out anything about her mother. Out. So that's just kind of left hanging out there. I'm I'm interested in the backstory of what happened to Ma. But we what we do know is that it really made a big impression on Hector enough that he is going to do whatever he can to protect this demon from getting his daughter as well. Well, clearly. And then at the very end, he says, now go bind yourself up. She goes in and starts wrapping herself up, wrapping her chest up. Is that a thing people used to do to women? Is that a thing that, that they used to force teenagers to do? Do you, do you know? I, I don't know. I remember being so struck by that image, though. She has, it appears to be like muslin, great big, or linen, yeah. a sheet of it, and she's wrapping her torso with it and trying to get it tight around her chest to hide her curves. And she's and she is crying, and she has tears going down her face while she's doing it because it's artfully shot into the mirror so we can see yeah. what's going on. But yeah, this just sets the stage from the beginning that Sylvia, aka any 15, 14 year old girl in this time, is up against it just by yeah. the nature of who they are and developing and so that i i found that shocking his the level of blame that her father puts on her and the fact that there's clearly a backstory around it that we don't know but i appreciate that as a storytelling device you don't need to tell us everything yeah it's efficient right because we need to get to where he's really 
in this mode, even though, golly, this is just not in our parenting manual of how to deal with these situations, shall we say that? Yes, exactly. Word gets out across Walnut Grove that this has happened. Some of the parents find out that these boys were peeking in on Sylvia. And as one would expect, the response from the adults is pretty typical. Boys will be boys. So it's just boys will be boys. There's a lot of making excuses. Even even Charles Engels, Albert's father, says, you know, which one of us, you know, didn't sneak down to the swimming hole to catch a peek? There's a, you know, it's all that attitude that the boys are completely innocent and there is so much shaming of Sylvia that that she has brought this upon herself. Yeah. Right. So she is being, so she is just over and over and over again being traumatized in this, in this episode. And she is a victim on every single level. Consummate victim and and she is she's physically attractive she is wholesome looking yep right she's she she appears to be an innocent we have no indication that she is anything other than an innocent child who happens to be developing yeah and here's another clip this is what willie who was in the in the group that was spying on sylvia this is what he says to his mother when his mother confronts him about the fact he was peeking into Sylvia's window. Why? Why would you go to that girl's house? Why that girl? I don't know. Yes, you do. Now answer me, or you'll go to bed without your supper. Well, you know, she's she's sort of she's sort of grown up. Uh, she uh she's, she 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 teases the boys, is that it? Huh? Huh? That's it, isn't it? Sort of. Yes, I guess. <sighs> I knew it. I knew it. All right. So there's just this sense of relief of the mother that, oh my God, my innocent son, it clearly wasn't him. It was this slut Sylvia who caused yeah. all of this. Which, if you know Mrs. Olson's character, this really fits. But if you if you look at that, that is really such a baiting. She wanted so badly for this not to be Absolutely. true and for it to be. So she really gives him the opening and he's like, all right, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Kind of. I don't know if I think about it. Yeah, I guess because he's like originally, I don't know. And it's like, yeah, it's about her. So we've established that Sylvie is having a really bad time. There's some discussion amongst the adults trying to hold, figure out who's responsible for this. But the whole thing seems to blow over in general. This is where the episode starts to go off into the horror direction. The first time we get a true horror trope is what appears to be the next day. Sylvia goes outside of the school to ring the bell to bring the kids in. And we get the first person viewpoint from the... I'm. It's a little hard to say what this person is, but we're going to I'll just call him a stalker at this point. So we get the first person view of this stalker with some very, very typical horror music.
So there we get the view of Sylvia through the stalker's eyes, which is something that is very common in horror, made probably most famous by Halloween and the shots from Michael Myers. We get close-ups of his eyes. The eyeball. The eyeball. Yeah, not even eyes. One yeah. eye. I mean, we don't see the eyebrow. We so we see nothing to, that would indicate any kind of emotion or expression. No, We're literally nothing. seeing the eyeball trained on, trained on Sylvia. She has a stalker. They have established their slasher film bona fides right here. So that's our first glimpse of what's to come. As this happens... Right. And and I have to say, and I'll uh, and I'll just note that even though this episode has a lot of victimization of Sylvia, there is a pretty consistent subplot uh, of her developing a relationship with Albert. Mm -hmm. And at this point, she and Albert are starting to have a romantic relationship. He's able to kind of break through to her. But. In order to do that, she kind of has to sneak around behind her father's back because, as we've already established, dad is kind of a psycho. It's a clandestine, but it's important to to note that this is still a, a very much an, an, an idealized young love thing. We're talking about hand holding at yes. most. Right. We're yes. carrying the books. We're putting down the jacket, you know, over the puddle. Gonna, right, right. That's that's the level we're at. So it's it's sweet. We're still maintaining Sylvia's innocence while we're doing this. They're 13 and 14 years old, right? I'm going to keep on coming back to this. They are 13 and 14 years old. There are things that happen in this episode that aren't supposed to happen to 13 and 14 year olds. Yes. So you're right. I don't think you can keep keep reminding enough because. <laughs> These are children, even in a television, much less a children's television show. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it shouldn't happen to anybody, let alone 13 or 14 year olds. Sylvia and Albert are developing this relationship. It's very idyllic. And now we get to probably the most disturbing part of the whole movie. And again, trigger warning, we're going to be talking about a child rape here. So Sylvia is walking home through the woods. She's picking flowers. Very reminiscent of every innocent victim in just about any horror movie you can think of, going all the way back to Frankenstein and the little girl picking the flowers. That is a clear sign of innocence. That's what they're trying to get at. But as she is walking through the woods, you start to hear some crackling sticks in the background, right? Yeah. You get the sense that somebody is in the woods with her. Then we get a false pop scare. And for those of you who are unaware of what these are in a horror film, and I, you've probably all seen it, you have what's called a pop scare, but it's, but you're not, it's not an actual pop scare of something that should frighten you. It's something innocuous, right? In this case, it's birds. And in most slasher movies, this happens. And then you can basically count to three before the shit hits the fan. And we get that scene.
So you could hear the birds. The birds scared her. That's the false pop scare because it it actually made me jump a little bit when that happened. And then she's attacked from behind. Let's talk about the attacker and how he's dressed. The attacker is dressed in what I would call slasher chic, (laughs) all black with a stocking cap. He's got black gloves and he has got one of the creepiest old timey masks ever devised. Of all time. All time creepy mask. It's it's like a mime, right? But it's like a deadpan mime. There's no. And here's the most. Most masks have cutouts for the human eyes. This mask doesn't. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about it. How the hell does he see? Yeah. It, you're, you're, you're 100% correct. Um, he shouldn't be able to see out of the mask. This is, if you ever watch a Jalo film, he looks very much like the killer in a Jalo film, right? He's got the black gloves on. He's got the mat. He's dressed all in black. It's less like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. And more of the Giallo style killer. But it's still a slasher. I mean, he's still, you know, and the and the mask is absolutely frightening. It's hot. It's hot. So it's highly stylized. Uh, the, later, we're going to see his boots, his pant legs. We have black leather boots with wooden heels. Yep. OK, plausible for late 1800s. Maybe they're fries. All right. We have black pants that look a whole lot like machine sewn uh, jeans or dungarees to me. And then we have these well-made shiny leather black gloves. So to me, watching, re-watching this now, I'm seeing that and I'm thinking that seems like such a departure, an iconoclast. It doesn't look like it belongs it's, there. It's, it looks like it's we an have jumped. It, 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 his, yeah. his outfit is definitely, the, the, the stocking cap definitely looks machine-made. The gloves look machine-made. He's stepping right out in 1980. He stepped onto the set of Walnut Grove. Trying to attack Sylvia. <laughs> that, 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 that's what yeah, happened. Exactly. <laughs> so he attacks Sylvia and she is raped off screen. Fortunately, there's this there's this uh, slow zoom into the flowers that she was picking in the in the woods. But it's very clear what's going on off screen. She makes it home. She survives the attack. She makes it home to the front door. She's battered, traumatized. Her father brings her in. He's been sitting up waiting. It's late at night now. Yes, it's it, dark. He's waiting yep. by the fire for her to yeah, appear. So it's, it's, it's nighttime and she is shown up and it's very clear that she has suffered a, a, a great tragedy. And... Yeah. And fortunately, her father is super sensitive to her. (laughs) Oh, wait, did I say he was super sensitive to her? Oh, I mean, he was completely insensitive to her. You understand me, Sylvia? No one must know of this disgrace. You understand? No one must know of this disgrace. You know, it's it's heart wrenching for me because this 
this is what so many sexual abuse victims go to in their heads. And look how I think it's here because the producers, Michael Landon, wanted to make a commentary which was pretty progressive for society's behaviors at these times. So, so many victims, that's exactly what they do. They don't tell anybody because they don't want anybody to know the disgrace, but they usually do it to themselves. So to hear this young girl's father tell her this in her moment of trauma is so heavy. And she was selling it because I got I to gotta say that I got to give her her kudos. The actress here, Olivia Barash or Barish, B-A-R-A-S-H, was nominated for a Young Artist Award for this role. So she's doing yeah, a good job. The acting was pretty good. Some of the writing, a little suspect. <laughs> but here's, here's what's depressing about this. It would be nice to think that that attitude of the, the, the that attitude for the adults uh, mm -hmm. had been left in 1899. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that attitude still exists today. Oh, and absolutely. I think that's how I, I think that's how we got to where we are. And I think that we've made some as a society, we've made some progress. But this feels very contemporary to me. Like this is the type of thing it does. that could still happen today. Well, and that this is really the tipping point to the whole Me Too movement, right? And the 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 be only the beginning of the downfall of the idea of victim blaming, a victim shaving, of in court uh, defense strategies. I mean, this is new and it's faltering even right now in our present day, where we think we're so progressive. So in the seventies and heaven forbid, in the 1890s. Yep. Oh, this was probably pretty spot yeah. on. Yeah. So Sylvia has suffered a great tragedy, but it's very clear that her father has decided that life is to go on as normal. So he sends her back to school. And there's a scene that seems like it's maybe the next day, maybe a couple of days later. I don't know when, but Sylvia is outside during recess at school. And one of the boys touches her and she freaks out as one would who has suffered a trauma. I will note that Laura Ingalls, who at this point, uh, I, is this the first time we see her in this episode? Yeah, she doesn't appear a whole lot now that she's a school yeah. teacher. So she's a school teacher. So she runs out and the first thing she does is slaps Sylvia. Oh, my God. I know it. S slaps her. <laughs> this poor girl <laughs> is just, I mean... <laughs> this is the most victimized girl in the history of television. Right. Right. Everybody yes. is abused. They're emotionally <laughs> abusing her. They're sexually abusing her. They're physically abusing her. It's everybody in the everybody in Walnut Grove should go to jail for how they treat this girl. <laughs> but this this is like the management tool of the the woman yes. in hysterics that we were growing up with in that time. That's what you oh, yeah. oh you slap them. Yeah, they snap right out of it. Yeah, it works really well. There's yeah. no repercussions. They just come to, and she does. And she does. She just comes yeah. to not a traumatized person yeah. who's just suffered physical assault might respond, but oh, it works. Okay. I'm sorry. That 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 was the writing. That's pure Michael Landon's writing right there. Yes, exactly. Else. I mean, in, 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 in those days, if a woman said, hey, women should have the right to vote, you sent them off to an asylum. <laughs> and right. so this is how you handled things back then. But yeah, that Get yeah, I line. thought that was a little uh, 
that was a little jarring when Laura came out and jarring is the exactly the took the word out of my mouth this, Patrick. Uh, poor poor Sylvia moment. while this happens we get another first person view of her attacker so mm. she's still being watched we get the sense that some time has passed now uh maybe a few weeks have gone by and she is still seeing albert Right. Obviously, she's mm-hmm. still a little traumatized, but she seems to get some comfort in the company of Albert. But she gets she gets in trouble uh, from her father for seeing Albert. She gets caught in a lie and she breaks up with him saying, look, my father is super upset that I lied to him. I can't see you anymore. We're just going to have to end this. Albert is heartbroken, goes to his father, and his father gives him sage advice. It's got to be more than Sylvia telling him a lie one time. It's got to be. If only she talked to me. All you can do is keep trying. All you got to do is keep trying. Boom! From our epitome of good fatherly advice... Continue to prey on this yes. girl and pressure her despite the boundaries yes. that she has set up by behest of her father. Yeah. So the, the, the lesson here yeah. is if a keep woman breaks it. up with you, you just you just got to keep trying. <laughs> because eventually they'll so give in. How he's eventually they will love son. you. <laughs> eventually they will learn to appreciate you. That's right. Well, we've all seen Beauty and the Beast and, you know. Good grief. <laughs> Thanks, Pa. So boys will be boys. Keep trying. So we have that going on on the raising the male yes. part of this episode. And now we're back to what happens to Sylvia after this. Because this isn't going to bode well for her, no. certainly. No, she is. She is not having a good time. And spoiler alert, things are going to get worse. Uh, At this point, uh, Albert tries to meet or or tries to get Sylvia's attention, tries to work things out in a in a small scene, a scene that I wouldn't mention except for what I would refer to as Chekhov's blacksmith. This is a scene where we meet Mr. Hartwig. We mentioned earlier that there were two people in this episode that no one had ever heard of before. This is the second person. This is Mr. Hartwig, the blacksmith. Why are they introducing us to Mr. Hartwig, the blacksmith? I'm sure it's completely innocent, but he has a small conversation with Albert about the fact that Sylvia doesn't want to talk to him. Sylvia. She get a little angry there, Albert. Hi, uh, Mr. Hartwig. No, she didn't angry or potted. Oh. Well, I know how hard it is for young folks sometimes to understand, but he was only doing the best he can. He's trying to keep her from being too wild. But she's not. She's not like that at all. Well, I'm sure she isn't. But you see, fathers, they worry about what they are afraid will happen. Now you just give it some time. Hey, he'll come around. I hope you're right. See you, Mr. Hope. So we've met Mr. Hartwig again for no apparent reason. And Albert ends up working for Mr. Hartwig. 
because Albert's starting to think about the future now. He's, hey, he's 14 years old. He's practically a man. So he wants to make some money. So he goes to work for Mr. Hartwig. Meanwhile, at school, Sylvia passes out in the middle of class. Ah, and I remember this scene too. Sylvia passes out. She gets taken to the doctor. Did she pass out from maybe exhaustion? Well, that's that's what Laura and Albert immediately assume because her father has been working her like a rented mule, keeping her down, on, trying to keep her trying down on the farm. Trying to keep her down on the farm. So she's been working hard. She's probably exhausted. And the doctor visit, you know, the doctor examines her and for some reason decides he's going to tell Albert what's wrong with her. How is she? Conscious. She's resting. Poor girl's exhausted. Told you. From what we've heard, that's her pa's doing. I'm sure that's it. I've heard mm-hmm. the same stories. Exhaustion's only part of it. Uh-oh. Albert, would you wait outside? Dr. Baker, I want to know what's wrong with Sylvia. I was her beau till her pa got angry. He wouldn't let me see her anymore. You were? Yes, sir. For a long time? A couple of months. Why? Oh. She's with child, son. What? She's with child. Have you and she? No. 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 I never... So Sylvia is with child. And as we know, it ain't it ain't Albert's. Okay, if 14, how does he how does he know how she got with child? How does he follow this conversation without losing a beat? Who? Albert? Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Well, he does lose a beat. Taking care of the farm animals. I don't know. How does he know where babies come oh, from? Point because we did establish early in the episode, and we didn't really go at, go through it in length. But in the very beginning, the reason they go and spy on Sylvia is they're looking at the I don't know the 1898 Sears and Robux catalog that has like ladies mm-hmm. bloomers in it. I don't. I mean, I don't think they had Skinamax back then, did they? <laughs> I don't know. It must have it must have been it must have been time around the barn. All right. But he instantly receives the message and denies it. But wow, Doc just put two and two together and got five, didn't he? Oh, yeah. He totally was like, so you've been with her long? A couple of months. Oh, really? Dad. So we jump forward a little bit. Uh, Sylvia is back at home and her father does what, of course, her father is going to do. Where are we going? don't know. Doesn't matter. Some town where folks don't know us. We'll tell them your your husband got killed in an accident. Her her 13-year-old husband. Blame me for this, don't you? (laughs) Don't you? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Uh, you reap what you sow. Yeah, cold comfort for Sylvia. Cold here. comfort. There's I nothing, mean, but that's just cold. But really, there's no comfort. That, 
gold. There ain't no, there ain't comfort. no comfort. You're right. But I mean, he they would have had to leave. They would have had to leave town. They there's such a slim chance that they could have survived at this point. They she could have been run out on a rail. She's unwed. My heart just breaks for poor Sylvia. She's just. I mean, they just brutalize her in this episode. So anyway, so as you caught from that clip, I'm sure dad's looking to sell the farm and get out of town. And uh, who's he going to sell the farm to? Why? It's Mr. Hartwig, mm. the blacksmith. He showed up again, buying the farm for a good price. So they're planning to move. And now we see Sylvia. She's working outside. And we get another slasher movie trope, the false killer point of view. This is where you see somebody coming towards a victim or coming towards a character and you think it's the killer and it turns out not to be. It turns out to be their friend or their boyfriend. In this case, you get a first person point of view of Sylvia working outside of the barn and you see a hand reach out to grab her and it turns out to be Albert. Scares the hell out of Sylvia. Good mm -hmm. job, Albert. Just <laughs> popping in on her. And speaking of popping in on her, what else does he do in this scene? He pops the question. Albert has mm. decided that he wants to marry Sylvia. He's told his father that he's going to marry her. He's going to lie to her father about being the father of the child so that they can move and live happily ever somewhere else because he is madly in love with Sylvia. But Sylvia is a little impatient and she decides that she wants to run away from home. She doesn't want to be with dad anymore. Uh, she wants to be with Albert. So she leaves. It is now a dark and stormy night. Sylvia is on the run. Albert and Pa are at home. There comes a knock at the door. It's Sylvia's father with a shotgun there by all appearances to confront and kill Albert, thinking that he kidnapped. He's accused. He's decided that, yeah, Albert is the yes, problem. He has here. decided that Albert is the problem here. And Pa and Sylvia's father get into a fight out in the rain. And Albert decide Albert's uh, father convinces him to tell Sylvia's father that, no, she's he's not really the father of the child. So the truth, the comes, truth out. comes out. No more! Let me off! No more! Albert! Tell him the truth! Tell him the truth now! It wasn't me. I never did anything. Swear it! Swear it to God! I swear to God. I swear to God! And this is poignant. This is at the moment where we see that Sylvia's father finally accepts that it's true that his daughter was raped by somebody, Apparently a, stranger, a stranger, and he breaks down. 
he he sobs. Well, that's what she claimed. And uh, well, they by an unknown, by an unknown, unidentifiable unknown assailant man. And and he breaks. Thank you. There we go. There we go. Good unknown ladies. assailant. Uh, so he and he is sobbing at Charles Ingalls' breast. Now this is a key point in the entire town's consciousness because this is the point from here on out where everybody knows that there is a predatory <laughs> rapist on the loose in their midst preying on girls the children of the town where's the posse that's a good point where's <laughs> where's the search party where are the pitchforks where's the grilling where's the accusing where's the wondering where everybody else was where were all the other men when did this happen where's the detective works where's the hiding and locking up of our other girls we don't even know other girls where, where are, all are the interacting with sylvia are coming up where are all the men folk where's the posse to hunt down the rapist Nothing. there's Nothing. zero it's just all it's right. just Pa Ingalls and Sylvia's father on, on a manhunt. And they are on a mission to what? To stop stop this imminent child yeah. marriage. That's yes, the pertinent they, they, yeah, they're, priority they're, they're less concerned about the rapist than they are the uh, the potential marriage. That is a good point. And and Albert just got reamed yep. that he is too young for this, but because he's 14 and he points out his grandfather was also yeah, 14 but, when he was I mean, married. But, but back you know then, what? You, you only lived until like 28. So... Right. That was a full. So You're yeah, going through a midlife but crisis. The thing 12. is, who, nobody ever mentions that maybe Sylvia's too young for marriage. This is all about oh, her father says, well, we'll just tell everybody your husband died in an accident. Right. Well, that assumes that she got married when she was like 12. Right. <laughs> right. Which did, you know, you know they had to, they, they ended up having to use in vitro fertilization because she was only 11 at the time. But, you know, <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, yes, Albert's being told he's he's much too young for this, but nobody's addressed this with no, Sylvia. No one has addressed but, this with Sylvia. All right. So now so now we're off. We're gonna stop we're gonna stop this marriage to save Albert from ruining yes, his life. Exactly. So. so Albert finds Sylvia. So there's a there is a little bit of a part hunting party, and it's Albert, Pa, and Mr. Mr. Webb. Webb. And they split up and Albert finds Sylvia hiding in an abandoned barn and tells her, we're going to get married, we're going to run away, and we're going to live happily ever after. There's only one problem. Albert has no money. He's 14 years old. So Albert mm -hmm. goes to the blacksmith shop, Mr. Hartwig's place. His, his employer. employer. He goes there with the intention of borrowing money from Mr. Hartwig. Mr. Hartwig's not there though, so he takes some money out of the of the safe and but he's writing writing a note on saying, "Hey, I'm sorry, I needed the money and it was an emergency. I'll pay you back." Blah 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 blah. But Mr. Hartwig shows up, and at first, Mr. Hartwig's bad because Albert's stealing from him. But then Albert explains why he needs the money, and he spills the beans on where Sylvia is. No, please. All right, I'll tell you. I know you won't help me, but I'll tell you. Go on. I'm running away. I don't want to. So you know Sylvia. The web girl, sure. Yeah, well, I'm taking her away. We're going to get married. We're going to live far away from here. I have to go now before they find her. Before they find her? Yeah, she's at the old Atkins place waiting for me. <laughs> 
I was going to ask you for an advance on my wages, but you weren't here. So, I was going to pay you back, I swear it. So, I'm sure Mr. Hartwig is perfectly safe with that information, right, Kat? <laughs> so, the first time he met Albert, the first question he asked was about Sylvia's state of mind. Was yes. she angry? The second time... He's got another line of questioning it's all about here. Sylvia. I wonder. I wonder if that's a coincidence. Yeah, so, no. Let's see what happens so next. Mister Hartwig now knows where Sylvia is. Albert goes off to his place, his his actual house. Mister Engels and Mister Webb are off somewhere else. And then we get a shot of Sylvia asleep in the barn where she's hiding, and the stalker shows up. He approaches her in a way that I will dub the least stealthy way possible. I am going to play the audio, and this is an audio medium. I am going to play the audio <laughs> of this killer sneaking, sneaking <laughs> up on Sylvia. <laughs> oh, I, he, he must have, he must be okay now. Oh, okay. No, he's not done yet. <laughs> So I was trying to think. Oh my God, I think it's done. Yeah, I was trying right. to think of a way that that would have been less subtle. And the only thing I could think of is if he had walked across the keys of a grand piano on the way <laughs> to kill her. And the thing is, she doesn't notice him until she's until he's right on top of her. And she goes, oh, it must be Albert. It's like, are, are you are, are you deaf? Does pregnancy cause deafness? Because. It if there's anyone who should be on yes. edge, <laughs> it would be Sylvia I Webb mean, at this he point. He might as well life. have had a cowbell around his neck. <laughs> it's the loudest killer <laughs> ever. So, you know, maybe it's his it, first yeah. time. It's just He's not really not good, good at, at it. it. You know? So the killer or the stalker attacks Sylvia. They have a struggle, and the killer inexplicably and immediately removes his mask for no reason. He just. <laughs> I told you there were well, no that eye could holes be in that it. He could, right? Maybe he couldn't see. <laughs> and maybe, maybe that was it. Maybe he couldn't see all the wood that was on the ground that he was. Because <laughs> there's this huge pile of old yes. wood in this abandoned. And then he just walks <laughs> yeah. right across. So he rips off the mask. It's Mr. Hartwig, the da, da, da. blacksmith. That's who it is. The blacksmith the blacksmith oh and albert led him right to him we never saw oh, this coming man, it was like it's like a scooby-doo episode oh but you know what going back to childhood fear, fears revisited this is a completely nightmarish scene to a oh, child 100 he is blocking this man in black is blocking her entrance she cannot escape oh but 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 it doesn't stop her from trying 
and for no apparent re- reason, tripping and falling. So I was I was going to say, is 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 this part of the trope of our slasher 100%. films of the 80? She has to she has to fall yes. while being pursued. It, it wouldn't matter. It doesn't cause much of a delay for him to actually come upon her at that point, but it does close in the distance somewhat because this looks really familiar. I will give them the fact that there are like boards on the ground, but in every slasher mm-hmm. film, they could be running on like a salt flat in Utah and trip over something. <laughs> right. They could be on. A, they could be on Olympic. Yes, track. exactly. It and find something groomed. to trip on. That's just what happens. And she trips and she falls. Mr. Hartwig then blocks her way and she does something absolutely inexplicable. Now, I know she's 13 years old. She's panicked. And I know she's panicked. And she's panicked. But if you don't believe me, watch this episode. It's on Peacock. Go to this part of the episode. If you don't believe me, she starts climbing a ladder to nowhere. Well, it's the loft. No, it just goes to a beam. There is nothing up there. I watched it three times. She was literally climbing to nowhere. Oh, I've got to watch that again. I assume she was there going to There is no loft. She is literally climbing a ladder to nowhere. She's <laughs> reaching up onto a beam that is connected to nothing. It's almost like they looked at the script and said, well, it's her time to die. <laughs> so we got to kill her some way. Oh, and she whoa. can't, can't, and this guy can't wait, kill wait, her. So it's got to be next? an accident. It's got to be in a barn. She could fall off a ladder. All right, just put a ladder over there and have her climb it for no, no reason. Well, she was probably trained to climb trees in case of bear pursuit, and that was the closest thing that kicked okay, in. Okay, that's that's a fair comment. That mind. could possibly be it. Okay, so so now she's up a ladder. He's closing okay. in. She's up a ladder that goes nowhere, and she's reaching up because she's trying desperately to reach the nowhere, and Albert shows up. Albert shows up, confronts the blacksmith, does not do particularly well. Albert pretty much gets his ass kicked, and then... Suddenly there's a shotgun blast and the blacksmith falls dead and the camera pans over and it's Mr. Webb and Mr. Ingalls standing in the doorway and they're standing in the doorway in such a way that it almost looks like they've been there a while. Almost like they got to the door, got to the door and were like, well, I don't really like Albert. Let's see how this plays out. And then when it was clear that Albert was going to lose, he's like, "Ah, okay, might as well kill him. So he kills the, uh, the blacksmith. But. Before he can do that, the ladder breaks and ah, Sylvia falls. She awful. falls from, I don't know, maybe maybe six feet, seven feet, and she lands flat on her back. Albert is distraught. He's bending over her. Dad seems less than concerned about his daughter's well-being, but that seems par for the course for this character. Before we leave the barn, we get this actually a, a pretty good framing shot of the dad and the mask on the ground. It's almost like, you know, you had the evil rapist, but they're also framing it with the father who was sort of an enabler of that evil. So I thought that was a nice touch. You know, if you look up this episode, you almost invariably, the visual that goes with it is an an image of this mask, whether it's on the criminal during the attack or it's lying down after the fact. And if you think about it, they didn't have to have this mask in the episode at all, but they put a lot of energy and thought into it. Now, Patrick, because it was the time period. Killers 
In slasher movies, wore creepy masks. That's what they do. They were following the trope. Did they need to do that? No, they didn't need to do that. They could have just hidden his face. Hell, it was 1890-whatever. Right. He could have worn a like a bandana around it. You know, he could have looked like he was getting ready to rob a train. They're like, so, no, he's going to wear so a you're, creepy so mask. So you're, you're proposing that this was very deliberately based on 100%. the structure of a 1980s slasher film. This movie... Everything about this movie. Let's 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 just do a quick recap of all of the slasher movie tropes that we've covered in this right. episode. We had the killer point of view shot. We had the walk home through the woods picking flowers. We had the false pop scare followed by the imminent attack. We had the way the killer was dressed. We had the creepy old timey mask. We had the the stalker following her afterwards. We had the false point of view where we saw her through Albert's eyes, where he reaches out for her and we think it's the killer. And it turns out it's Albert because they've already set the precedent that we see through the killer's eyes. We had the confrontation in the barn where he's sneaking up on her stealthily, her running and tripping, her climbing. Climbing is a big thing in slasher movies. The final girl is always climbing on stuff. They're always climbing up. So everything about this is based 100% in late 70s, early 80s slasher flicks. Every trope. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic that a show like this that was squarely aimed at families and children, sagging in the ratings, looked to see what was going on in the culture and said, that's something that we can do. We can ape that genre. I'm surprised the next episode a UFO didn't show up because that was big <laughs> back then too. Flying saucers through Walnut Grove. Right after this, the ratings continued to drop. So it looks like it probably was enough for a minute to get those viewers' oh, eyes on. Shark. I mean, it, it had huge viewership, but it wasn't It was gimmicky. sustainable. It was pure gimmick, but it had to be so traumatizing. I had to wonder how far did this break the trust of the parents who had grown to rely on Little House as the babysitter that they could leave their child alone in the room with? Real quick, the victim. Mm -hmm. We had a 14-year-old get raped, impregnated mm -hmm. by the rapist, and murdered in a family television show. And lost the baby. Let's not forget well, that one. Yeah, absolutely. So I said that she died, but she's not dead yet. There's still right. enough time for her to say her goodbyes to Albert. So they get her out of the barn. They take her home. The doctor is tending to her. He says that she wants to talk to Albert, and they have a um, kind of an awkward deathbed discussion considering that they're both 14 years old. I wish we could have a church wedding. Well, why can't we? Because, because, you know. We can do anything we darn well please. If you want a church wedding, church wedding you'll get. Oh, yes, I do want one. I want to wear a long white dress. I want to wear flowers in my hair. Yellow flowers. And I want to walk down the aisle to you, my Albert. And I want to hear the reference say, you may now kiss the bride. Kiss me, my love. 
Okay. Now I need to ask you, did that kind of make you feel uncomfortable? It made me feel uncomfortable because these are little kids talking about, oh, I want a, I want a church wedding and kiss me, my love. It's like, that's, it's it adult, right? So there's adult. so much about this, you know what, that I like though, because they try, they tried, this is so ambitious to take this on. There's so much going on right here. This, in, this is her finest moment, really. She was sexualized from the beginning. We met her on the bed. And she was victimized throughout on every level as being a prepubescent, developing broodmare female. We preserve the innocence of their love. And now she's about to peg out the one. This is kind of the only moment that is respectful of her through the writing is when she is right now turning the cusp into womanhood. And we are considering her as someone with her own dream and her own hope. And usually on your deathbed, if you've lived a long, full life, the brain is going to take you into the past. She never got the chance. So we go into the tragedy part of this and we do something the opposite of that, we go into her future, her dreams of her future, her fantasy. And really, if you think about it, what would they naturally be doing at about this age if they were already holding hands and carrying books and all this? They'd probably be playing house. And a girl in that day and age, would have those would have been her biggest dreams. Unless she wanted to teach school this or rob a bank, this is pretty much the only other thing she had to look forward to. And this is a wholesome show. So we're bringing it back to not only does she want to love Albert, she doesn't just want to bed down with Albert. Yeah. She wants to have church weddings. So we've restored her virtue. We've given her some maturity. We gave her independent thought. And now we're releasing it all. And she's dying with the only bit of comfort that she knew. So it's, I agree that it is a departure and it may feel very uncomfortable because this, this is nothing to do with the genre, right? That we've been nope. dealing with the whole time. Does this kind of moment breakthrough moment ever happen in any of these no, slasher films? No, because at this point in those movies, everybody except for one person is dead. So they really don't have, usually don't have <laughs> anybody to talk to. <laughs> So at this point, this is and the it's only usually and here's the thing, and it's usually the, the girl who lives. It's usually the good girl, the good innocent girl who makes it through. So this is, so this is really edgy because the final girl doesn't make it through this. Interesting. One. I mean, it is. It's it's sad. No matter what you do, this is a sad scene. But it feels like this is the only moment that comes close to honoring what Little House this television series was designed to be and has been so far but you know what at that point if your parents were in the room with you and saw what you just saw i don't think yeah. it's gonna make up for it <laughs> nice 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 try for that final michael save. landon is like oh man but we've got to come up with what? something wholesome at the end <laughs> so she gives that nice little uh speech to albert and then dies, dies. she dies 
And the episode ends there with a final image of a flashback oh, to them, them by their, the the by like the pond their or first, wherever. First kiss. That's the final image it leaves you with, which I will say thank you for not leaving us with one more image of that. Oh, that's true. That was nice of them. Although it's already it, 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 it's, it's too, like you said, it's too late. This is uh, we're, everything we've talked about here, folks, is in the last 30 seconds of the episode. <laughs> right. So like I said earlier, we now have. A a dead, pregnant 14-year-old who has been raped. But fortunately, the director of the episode decides to exit with music that is appropriate for the mood that they have set. <laughs> yeah, this is a little bit of a tone shift. Oh my goodness. There's... Why do you keep yeah. the Why do you keep the credit music and the credits actually? That, there was there was a, a lack of attention to detail the, at that the, point in the credits. If you watch the credits all the way to the end, they literally end with like a freeze frame of Laura Ingalls like jumping up in the air, like freeze. Oh yeah, that's that's the classic yeah. image. Yes, they just kept yeah, their they just normal, kept their normal ending, ending. Is what so, they did. So which is pretty that, harsh. Poor Sylvia, <laughs> and and I'm assuming I haven't watched, but I'm assuming we never hear about Sylvia again. We never do. And you know what? In the next episode, Al- Albert shows up and he is just his normal, happy-go-lucky 14-year-old Not scarred, self. nothing, just... Never mentions it again. Like water off a duck's back. <laughs> so that oh, ends man. Sylvia, which has got to be one of the most twisted episodes of TV ever produced at least network TV ever produced. So Kat, now that we have gone through Sylvia, do you think it was as scary, less scary, or more scary than you remember as a child? So this episode was burned into my memory from the first time I saw it as a child. And I will say the story is less scary because we've established it is a formulaic uh, plot device of uh, the slasher flicks of the time. Uh, so it's less scary because I was accustomed to that by now in my life. But in retrospect, what is more scary about it is to realize that this episode helped introduce me to the concept of the, the slasher flick and through that, the risky business of being a young female in our culture. And it really started to uh, desensitize me at that early age, not only to the introduction of rape culture and systemic victim blaming and shaming and and the powerlessness of responsible, caring authority figures and adults to safeguard precious young girls and keep them safe. But it also introduced me to the notion of all of these things and the victimization of the iconic young girl as entertainment, as light entertainment in TVs and movies. And although it attempted to comment on a lot of adult themes, I think, as society's reaction to what was going on, that's a lofty goal when you're actually delivering the goods as well. So I think in the process, it actually perpetuated the, the systemic problems in our rape culture and television industry as this entertainment today. Thanks, Kat. And that will do it for this episode of Childhood Fears Revisited. 
Join us next time when we will explore yet another topic that brought chills to us as children and linger with us today. Take care. Bye-bye. Copyright 2022, Patrick Dobbins and Kat Ricker.